Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Meller. As always, it's a pleasure to have you here tuning in, listening to the podcast. It feels good to be releasing new episodes. I've got a number of fantastic guests lined up. Uh, actually, a pretty good backlog of great episodes to be releasing here. So I'm excited to be sharing those with you in the upcoming weeks. You may or may not know we release our episodes on Tuesday mornings, and I would encourage you to go and subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or the podcast app on your cell phone. That's the best way to make sure that you don't miss any of our great interviews. While you're there, it would be fantastic if you could leave a review for the podcast uh, so that other people searching for us and finding us will be more inclined to tune in and listen to what we have to say. That would be fantastic, and I would really appreciate that. Today on the podcast, I have Dr. Sheldon Salins, a good friend of mine and someone who I think you're really going to enjoy listening to and learning from. But I wanted to start today by talking a little bit about the recent downturn in the stock market. As you know, I like to weigh in on these financial issues, and I continue to believe that investing in public markets should be an important part of your portfolio. As you know, after the meteoric rise in the stock market over the last few years, we experienced recently a 10% correction in the stock market or a 10% drop. And first, let's put this in context. Uh, I think this is important to do. The Dow Jones typically drops 5% three times per year. It typically drops 10% once a year, 15% every other year, and there's a 20% decline every third year. So by these standards, the correction of early 2018 is probably more in line with the typical performance of the market than the steady rise we've seen in the recent past. What lessons can we or should we learn from this recent correction? Most importantly, I'd ask you to evaluate your emotional reaction to the correction. Did it stress you out? Were you checking your balance? Were you ambivalent? Or did you see it as a buying opportunity? Your emotional reaction is an indicator of your risk tolerance. If you are stressed out, perhaps you have too much of your portfolio in risky assets. If you slept like a baby, your allocation probably matched your risk tolerance more closely. Where you are in your career probably informs your reaction to these downturns. If retirement and the need to draw from your portfolio is close at hand, your comfort with volatility is probably lower, as it should be due to sequence of returns risk. If you're in your 40s, certainly in your 30s or even 20s, you actually probably should hope for a big downturn in the stock market so you can purchase more shares for your dollar. A big run-up in prices is not a great development if you still have most of your contributions ahead of you. There are other considerations to make when the market retreats. Do you need to rebalance your portfolio? I would argue that that would be hard to do currently with volatility being so high. It went down and immediately came right back up. But typically when the market takes big moves up or down, rebalancing is something you should consider. In a big downturn, you can also sell your assets for a loss and incur a tax benefit. And if you want to learn more about this, Google tax loss harvesting to learn more. 
Finally, it should be apparent, I would hope, that timing the market is a fool's game. Ignore the pundits. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. Determine your asset allocation, institute a regular purchase program of stocks, bonds, and other investments, and trust your plan. Small corrections like the one we've just experienced are a good chance to take your bearings. Use them like a trial run to think about how you want to position yourself and prepare for a bigger downturn, which will surely happen in the future. I'm excited to get on with our interview, but first a quick word from today's sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by CX Ortho Supply. Are you tired of overpaying for your brackets, bands, wires, and ortho accessories? Tired of reps bothering you during your busy day? How about outrageous shipping charges for supplies? In 2009, Dr. Dino Casciotti was tired too. That's why CX Ortho Supply was created. CX sells excellent quality ortho supplies at extremely low prices. Super high quality stainless steel twin brackets are as low as 50 cents each. Bands are just $1.75. All products are 100% guaranteed, and Dr. C has used these products on over 5,000 of his own patients with excellent results. By ordering from CX Ortho, no reps will bother you, and shipping is always just $5.50. There are no disappearing deals that require huge quantity orders. All orders over $500 get a free high-speed handpiece, and all orders over $1,000 get an automatic 10% discount. If you're interested in saving thousands of dollars on orthodontic supplies each year, check out cxorthosupply.com. For listeners of the podcast, use coupon code ELEVATE when you order and you'll receive an additional 10% off. As I mentioned, today we have with us on the line Dr. Sheldon Salins, and I'm so excited to have Sheldon here with us today uh, to be able to share some of his energy and enthusiasm for our specialty with you. We're going to ask him some questions that I think are going to be interesting and a little bit unique to him and his personality. Let me tell you a little bit more about Sheldon before we bring him on the line. Dr. Salins is a board-certified orthodontist who attended dental school at Harvard University. He completed his orthodontic specialty training at UCLA. He lives in the San Francisco Bay Area and is a member of the AAO and the PCSO and the ADA and the CDA. He's part of the clinical faculty at the Craniofacial Abnormality Center in Lucille Packard Children's Hospital. When not shaping sensational smiles, Sheldon enjoys riding his Peloton bike, listening to 90s hip-hop, and taking amazing trips with his family. So without any further ado, welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast, Dr. Salins. Thank you so much for having me, Lance. I'm excited to have you here. I actually just listened to you on, I guess, a local podcast you did for Union City. You're like a podcast professional now. No, I was, I was, you know what? I've been waiting so long for you to ask me that I had to, I had to put myself on because it was taking too long. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Now that was a good interview though. I like that. I like that. Uh, it was, so is that a real estate agent that kind of does local profiles? She does. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a real estate lady. Um, she's fantastic. She kind of goes and interviews some, all the local kind of startups in the area and kind of picks their brain to see what works for them and what doesn't work for them. And, kind of just kind of just grows her network. Yeah, I think that was a really clever idea on her part. And it came and she does a great job. I think it came across really nice here. So you're still riding your Peloton bike? Um, like, like a machine. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not fast by any means. I'm not pulling out some super great wattage. But, you know, Indian people, when they get to be a certain age, they, they um, don't maintain their figure like they did when they were 20 or 30. And so they always get what we call an uncle gut, which every <laughs> Indian uncle 
has like a spare tire around their waist. And we're going to parties now and seeing some of my friends that are getting older on all these social media sites. And I'm just trying my best to avoid the uncle guts. <laughs> the uncle gut. That's a good one. So I'm in the middle of like a workout a challenge or something. I think I'm on like day 80 something of, uh, of every day trying to kind of keep the streak alive like we, uh, like we learned at MKS. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that is actually incredible and great job to you kudos because it's hard in the cold weather it's really really difficult to get out there and motivate yourself because you know the bed always feels so nice and warm but yeah. you know I, which one of our buddies was the one who, and i'm gonna blank on so many names as jacob to this J- yeah jacob. Oh, to J- jacob i can, he probably saved my life and he doesn't even know it you know by mo- by that mks talk and getting out there every every morning and crossing that x um it's just so much motivation and it just feels good to get up. I wake up every morning about four thirty and just bang out 45 minutes to an hour of, you know, some cardio and some resistance training and then five thirty six, I'm ready to go and, you know, with the kids and, and help out the wife and then wake up and then go to the office. And, and at night I can't do it because I'm spent. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, cool. Cool. Well, let's let's start with this. We've got lots of listeners who are residents. Uh, tell us a little bit about the process of getting out of residency, finding a practice, finding a location for your family to live. How did you approach all those decisions when you started in practice? So my story happens actually a little bit earlier than um, uh, residency. Grew up in Florida, went to dental school at Harvard, and out of my thirty-five classmates. There were seven people from day one that knew exactly where they were going to go when they were done with whatever they were doing. You asked me, I was thinking maybe I'll go to New York or Texas or Chicago or see the world. You know, the world is flat. The world is, you know, flat in the sense that you can go anywhere and experience cultures and do so many things and visit so many places. But all these seven people wanted to go back to Cali because that's where they were from, Cali. And, you know, I had an uncle that lived in Los Angeles and we'd seen him two or three times during, you know, the time that I was growing up and stuff. But when it came time to interview for or to apply for residencies, I applied everywhere and especially applied to the two um, Cali schools, UCSF and UCLA. And then, you know, interviewed at UCLA and matched at UCLA and and it was stuck. You know, I mean, I was like, okay, I was so excited. I was I was going to be in California to see what all the hype was about being in California. So um, when I was getting ready, or I met my my wife when we I met her on Friendster. If anybody remembers that, that was before <laughs> Facebook and MySpace. And so I'd seen her picture and totally enamored um, from the get-go. She was actually living in New York where she was practicing as an attorney. And so when, you know met this beautiful girl and I'm trying to, you know, do everything I can to keep her engaged in this long distance relationship. So when push comes to shove 2007, we were kind of talking about where we're going to be long term and she was ready to leave New York and I couldn't find any work in New York. My network wasn't out in New York. And also, I think people were trying to were gauging to feel a recession coming. This is right before 2007 the eight um, recession. So nobody was really looking to expand. Nobody was looking to hire. And Natasha, my wife, is a finance attorney, and she can only work in, you know, three main cities with New York, where she was ready to leave Chicago, where we also didn't know anybody and San Francisco. So 2007, I graduate, 
kind of keep, you know, she had a great paying job and, you know, an amazing uh, career going on in New York. So, and I had nothing to give her. And I, you know, so we kind of waited it out. Um, I graduated. I was working as an associate for some fantastic colleagues, mentors of mine down in uh, the LA area. And then um, I met through word of mouth. I met the guy who I bought the office from Dr. Gary Nazareno in 2008. And then we kind of connected and he, you know, was selling his office because he had a family situation and he wanted to spend more time with his family. And so um, in 2008, I moved up to San Francisco and then we did the transition and then, and then hit the ground running. Sweet. So it sounds like, you know, your decision on where to live was largely based on kind of where your wife was able to find a job. Did, did you try to consider things like, you know, what are the demographics of the area I'm going to be in or, you know, where am I needed? Or did you just say like, hey, this works for my wife and, and here's an opportunity for me. Let's just roll with it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, being graduating from UCLA, they really wanted, you know, they instilled in our head to get out there and own a practice and start a practice and do your own thing. Working as, a, as an associate was fantastic. And I learned so much from my, um, from my mentors, as well as from some of the chain dental associations that I worked for. But, you know, I didn't want to get complacent in the situation I was at. So wanted to kind of grab the grab the deer by the horns and just, you know, start my own practice or move into something that was al- already established. So yeah, it yeah. kind of just worked. Everything kind of just worked out. But no, I didn't do much great demographic studies. I didn't do much, you know, long term planning. I had a lot of friends that did that, but I kind of just found a found an opportunity and said, "Let's run with it." Cool. So, so you when you bought this practice, you get there, and, and did you feel like the practice was kind of fully up to speed with where you wanted it to be, or did you have goals and aspirations for bigger and better? Tell me, kind of what what you felt like you needed to do when you got into the practice. Okay, so just, I'm going to take one step back and kind of give you, um, when I graduated from UCLA in 07, I worked for um, a Dr. Gibbs Snow, who back then had eight different offices, as well as a Dr. David Alpan, who had three different offices. And as well as a, I did a few days a month at the Western Dental that was in Santa Monica, LA. You know, having these mentors of mine just kind of instill the marketing ideas and patient motivation and and just have all the systems in place, you know, gave me a good background into what I needed to bring when I came to the office. Um, the, the little backstory on Dr. Nazareno, who I took over from the office, he um, has an autistic son. And in 2004, found out that his son was autistic and he moved 100 miles east of the Bay Area, kind of into a farming community or a country lifestyle community. So when he... Uh, moved his family out there, you know, he couldn't produce as much as he was doing out in the Bay Area where he was already established uh, in the community that in the community that he had moved his family to. So he just kept driving 100 miles each way every day um, for four years from 2004 to 2008. Lance, it, it was, yeah. yeah, he would spend four hours a day on the road in the Bay Area. So he would leave the off leave his house when his kids were asleep and he would come home when his kids were asleep so and he was just like this is not my the way i'm supposed to live my life so he um so his practice you know unfortunately for him but fortunately for me was on the decline from 2004 to 2008 so when i came in i kind of just instilled the different ideas that i had gained from you know working as an associate in in la and just ran with all the different ideas I had. So, you know, we grew, we grew interestingly 
um, between 2008 when I first transitioned to 2000 and uh, probably 11 was when I started, you know, feeling comfortable that the office is doing well. Right, right. And so what were some of those things when you came in and you kind of looked around and you said, you know, if we do this or this, um, or, or maybe now that you look back in retrospect and you say, wow, those, those were the things that really helped us build our reputation and get our systems honed in. Yeah. And you, you, what had happened was because he was traveling so much with the patients, I mean, sorry for his family, he just kind of didn't put the TLC into the practice that it needed. Um, not that it was bad or good. Um, his staff was good at doing everything, but when the doctor gets complacent, the staff gets complacent. And that's the problem with transitioning, um, offices is that when you're transitioning offices, your staff, you're transitioning from a, from a, you know, a young person who has so much energy and ideas, um, with an, with somebody who's become complacent and a st- into a, with a staff that's become complacent. And the staff is the hardest ones to motivate to say, Hey guys, you know what? You're doing X amount this month. We need to do X amount this the next month. All they think is, oh, man, we just have to work more for less pay or for the same amount of pay. I'm not motivated. So staff was the toughest thing to motivate. So basically, you know, all I had to do really was show the patients that I cared. And that's going to be a really ridiculous statement. But all they wanted was somebody there who kind of connected with them, who kind of get them get them through their treatment to get the results they wanted. Um, you know, and the doctors wanted uh, the referring doctors also wanted somebody to continue the care that they gave to their patients to, you know, that were in treatment with us. You know, Dr. Nazareno was great, but he just didn't, he just didn't have the time to put the TLC into the practice. So, you know, when I came in, the, a lot of the patients loved the energy. They loved the attention to detail. They loved the, the way their treatment started moving along better. Um, they just were really excited about finally somebody was coming in to give them the, and, and to give them the service that they had wanted. Right. Is that something you think about today? Like now you're at a place perhaps where your practice is a little bit more established and your reputation is a little bit more, you know, cemented in the community. Do you feel like you could be on cruise control or do you feel like you still have to be kind of hungry and, and give the practice that attention? Where, where do you feel like you are with that maybe 10 years later? Lance, I nev- I'm never complacent, right? You can never become complacent because as soon as you become complacent, um, another colleague will move into the community and give the, give, you know, take over, uh, with this, with the hunger that you had before. So I can, I am never complacent. Um, I'm still in the office answering phone calls, you know, when I'm doing paperwork and the staff's not there. I'm still in the office, you know, writing emails to my patients, c- trying to connect with them. I'm still, uh, on social media, engaging with my patients, making sure they don't forget, you know, about the office and kind of the experience they had in the office. If you kind of see our social media, um, you know, you, you just, you just have a connection with the office that it's not a regular, um, orthodontic or health service office. It's so much more. And that's one thing I noticed that, you know, you're particularly good at is connecting with patients. I, it seems that you're not afraid to, be yourself, let it all hang out. Um, sharing your personality, it seems like, is a big aspect if you really want to connect with uh, your patients, with other people. Absolutely. It was funny, you know, when I was at UCLA, I totally, con- I, you know, I, I try my best to engage and connect with everybody I, I meet, um, you know, inside and outside of the office. But I'll never forget at UCLA, and I had an amazing experience at UCLA. Um, I got in trouble because I was getting too close to my patients and the staff was just like, Hey doc, you know, 
you just need to kind of do your ortho and do what you need to do because you're going to get too close to your patients and then not in a not in a perverse or sexual way but they were just kind of like you're connecting with them too much that it doesn't make sense for or it's just not what they want but ironically you know 10 15 years later that's kind of the main driving force of the office that Everybody, I have a connection with the patients and parents. Um, they see how much we are instilled in the communities that we um, we provide service for, and they just they just love that connection that they have. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's hard sometimes with teenagers, especially as you know, orthodontists. You know, I think we feel somewhat removed from them. We feel like we have to maybe be the doctor, like we can't be ourselves or let our personality come through, or we're you know, you know, I don't know, maybe embarrassed or or, or shy or reserved. What what advice kind of would you have for your colleagues if they're if they're feeling like they don't quite know how to connect with these younger patients? Um, you need to kind of come down to where they're level at. You kind of have to remember what it's like to become a teen, be a teenager. You need to, you know, kind of understand, you know, the social pressures that are out there for the teenagers, the, the social media. But, you know, kids, it was the same when we were young. You know, they care about the way they look. They care about what other people think about them. They care about, you know, being kind of hip with the latest trends, most of them. And even those that are a little, um, you know, that might seem like they don't care. The surprising thing is, is that they really, most people, like 97% of the people want to fit in in some way, shape or form. So if somebody comes up to me, you know, and, you know, their oral brush, their brushing habits aren't perfect, you know, I'll kind of pull them to the side in a low, quiet voice and I'll say, hey, you know, Johnny or Sally, you know, I know you're do. I know we're doing a great job with your brushing. I mean, with your moving your teeth, but you need to you need to brush a little bit better because I don't want you I go I can get your teeth straight but I don't want you to be called dragon breath. And when I was younger, I dated a girl that you know was called dragon breath and I you know it just wasn't fun, you know, for her or for me. <laughs> and and they and they understand it, you know, and I and I always try to, you know, if I kind of have to scold them in a sense at one appointment, I kind of make a huge deal about it at the appointment after, you know, I, I kind of write mom an email and I, or dad an email and I say, Hey, you know what, what, you know, at the last appointment, I told Johnny that his brushing wasn't great, but you know, at this appointment it was phenomenal. Keep up the great work. And I try to, I try to praise the parents because being a parent of a teenager is the hardest thing in the world. Um, I don't have any kids yet. I mean, sorry, I don't have any teenagers yet. My daughter's three. She's going on 18, but um, I, I just feel you can just tell the stress of being a parent of a teenager and parents need some praise too. And they kind of love the, you know, the praise and the energy to get from the office from me and not from my staff. It's just from me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Sheldon, when I'm in the office, it's sometimes difficult because I feel like I'm pulled in so many different directions. I've, I've, you know, I've got, you know, staff to deal with. I've got maybe some financial issues. I'm trying to manage this business and keep this thing running. But then I have patients in the chair. And, and I do feel like the days that I come home feeling the most energized and like my job is the most rewarding is the days where I've really been able to focus on the patients and to be able to have that personal connection. And I almost have to like remind myself sometimes like this is the most important thing this is what's going to make you the the most happy uh, but sometimes it's hard to be able to kind of put those patients and those personal connections front and center uh, in the middle of a busy day 
Um, you're absolutely right. And it, it is one of the hardest things because we are getting pulled in so many directions. We're kind of a ringleader uh, in a circus, so to speak. It's just that, you know, we have so many different moving parts. And in one side, you have, you know, the tigers kind of biting at you, which are probably staff. And then the other side, you have, you know, the elephants running around on the bicycles, which might be, you know, another aspect of the practice. And we kind of have to, you know, co uh, kind of coordinate everything to make sure everything's perfect. But you know what, Lance, when I have that situation, you know, arise and I that happens to me as well. I kind of take a step back and I just start high fiving people. Like it's the weirdest thing in the world. You know, if I if I just look like I'm focused and I'm not paying attention and a parent walks right by me, I just give them a high five. And a high five just kind of grounds me back to earth, kind of puts me to where I'm at. You know, it kind of reconnects me with the staff or the or the parent or the teen or the or the kid that I just um am seeing. And it kind of just brings me back to earth. So it's kind of, you know, and, and then I have a massive to-do list, which I always, I keep so many post-it notes around in my pocket. Like I probably have 10 to 15 different post-it notes in my pocket when I go home at the end of the day. But um, you kind of have to come back to earth to reconnect with the office and the patients because they're your main driving force. That to me is is the whole key. And I think when you talk about, you know, building your reputation based on kind of connection with patients, you know, I, I love that because I think it's good for your practice. I also like it because, like I say, for me, that's really what, you know, is the most rewarding, you know, part of our job. Um, how about oh, with staff? Sure. Do, you, do you feel like, um, you know, how, how do you apply these same kind of principles? You're, you're high-fiving parents and kids. You know, do you, do, you, do you try to engage with your staff in a similar way and, and, and relate with them? Or, or do you kind of have to take a different approach? Um, you know, when I'm in the office and seeing patients and, you know, staff is always an area in which all of us can improve on, uh, including myself. You know, we had a staff issue the other day. But when I'm with staff, I, you know, from all the different groups that we've been part of, a um, couple things I've learned is I try as much as I can to praise the staff and uh, that's worked on the patient. You know, if it's a bracket placement, even if I have to move the bracket, I'll say, hey, Stella, you know, fantastic job. Like, I couldn't even do this better myself. Or I'll kind of take a look at them and give them, you know, in a, in a positive, quirky look. I'll be like, oh, like, wow, you know, you're, you're almost, you're, you're better than I am when doing this, you know? And so everybody kind of feels good. The parents, they're feeling good. The kids, they're, they're feeling good. The staff also feels like they're on cloud nine because they did a good job. Um, so, you know, I, you know, every once in a while, I feel that the staff needs a high five and, you know, a special, you know, attention just to kind of feel motivated and keep, keep, uh, keep the excitement going in the office as well. Yeah. But when you give you, when, when you praise your staff in front of patients, like it's, it's phenomenal. It's, it's, it's there. The, the staff is just walking on cloud nine and it's something I can definitely improve on. Um, but I think that's been a huge change um, and a positive step for keeping the staff motivated. That's my clinical staff. My front staff is um, they're the hard ones to motivate because you can't really give them a high five. And, you know, whenever you hear something about them, it's probably going to be a negative approach like, hey, you know what? I didn't get this appointment or she's being hard or da da da. So it's kind of harder being and and then we come down on the front staff in the sense of hey how come this insurance hasn't paid or how come you know sally's mom is behind in payments like what's going on so it's kind of hard and keeping them motivated um and i think that's one area in which i need to you know get better at is you know praising and motivating the front team my front team because they're also the most important team 
yeah, part of I try to. Yeah, I try to take them out to lunch um, because I find like I like you, I can't get up there enough to really interact with them. So I'll take them, you know, individually or sometimes collectively out to lunch just because I feel like I need more FaceTime with them. Uh, that's been something that's worked out really well. Uh, and also just to tell them, you know, you guys are doing a great job and, and if, you know, are there any concerns that you have? But I, I have to really explicitly make time for it because it is hard to get that interaction with with the That's a great idea, team. I think. May I'll take a, um, I think that's something I'll implement as well. That's a great idea. Okay, here's a, here's another question. You know, you live in a high cost of living area. Um, what what advice would you give orthodontists when it comes to their personal finances? They're they're getting out of school. What 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 do you feel like you've done to make some significant headway on your on your personal balance sheet? Uh, that's an interesting question because that's the fa- that, that's my favorite part of your entire podcast is because that's probably what I learned the most of is personal finance. You know, I would say marry well, but the, you know, my wife my wife stopped working. Uh, I don't know, Lance. You know, I you kind of just have to believe in yourself and just take the plunge on certain things. You know, I am in no, no serious rush to pay off my student loans or house. You know, I got you. I took advantage of refinancing um, at every opportunity I could to get my interest rates down as low as I could. But I'm kind of just. I'm I'm kind of just learning as I go. I wish I had a little bit more financial savviness to doing things. You know, I, I put a little bit in the stock market. I do a little bit in real estate. I do a little bit, you know, investment in my friends' um, startup companies. So it's kind of it's a difficult question because I don't know if I would be the best to answer that. I mean, it's just kind of an interesting thing, you know, when people get out and then how they make these decisions. You know, you you want to provide for your family, but on the other hand, you want to, you know be prudent. Um, and I think, you know, I, I live in probably a much, much, I think I've actually had this conversation with you before, um, about the cost of living where I live compared to where you live. So, um, oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely something that when people are kind of weighing their options, I think, uh, you know, plays into it, you know, trying to, to balance all these lifestyle factors and, you know, not letting it get too crazy with the orthodontist income. I think the biggest thing is, you know, that everybody's always said, or if they haven't said it, something that stuck with me is live below your means for sure and save as much as you can. But I think as well as living below your means and saving as much as you can, I think that you need to reward yourself, even if it's small little rewards, just to keep yourself motivated, you know, as well as not only rewarding yourself, but giving yourself short goals and say, hey, if we did this this month, then I'm going to, you know, take my wife out to a nice dinner, like something simple like that. So keep, you know, keep, you know, keep your goals within reach. You know, they should always be a lot higher than what you think you can do. But then when you achieve the goals, you need to also reward yourself, small little rewards, whatever it might be, like buy a Peloton bike or, you know, just to keep yourself motivated and fit or, you know, take your wife out to a dinner spot or go out and try go out, you know, hang out with your friends, wherever it might be at an MKS meeting or wherever it might be. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Or take a great trip. And take yeah, those are always a lot of fun. <laughs> Good. So you're you know, Sheldon, you're really active on these ortho Facebook groups. You know, I've noticed that you really kind of have this attitude of supporting your colleagues. You know, we're all there trying to learn from each other and uh, you know offer what we can. But I feel like you really not not really in a in a generic way, but it's almost like in a very specific one on one sort of way. Try to reach out to people, connect with them, support them. What's kind of your your vision there? What do you, what do you want from our specialty, and and kind of what do you what are you trying to accomplish? I just want everybody to feel like I just I don't want a single colleague of ours to 
to ever feel that they're in a situation where nobody knows what they're going through and they have they never have a ear for someone to listen to when they need some when they need somebody to talk to right and it was it was and you know i've all again i'm glad you've noticed that because i'm glad that it's kind of gotten gone out there but I try to connect with everyone and help them out, you know, in whatever ways I can with all the little, um, with all the little advice that I give. But I've made every single mistake and then some, you know, when it comes to every aspect of family or uh, and practice and patient management, you name it, I've done it because I have a hot temper and I've screwed up a lot of different things when talking to dentists and referrals and whatever. When I was at UCLA in 2007, I had a big sib who was my big brother, my actual big brother. And then he he was a very calculated person and he was trying to move up to the Bay Area. And he was one of the best orthodontists clinically that I've ever met, always had a smile on his face. But he moved up to the Bay Area, he bought a practice and and the next call I got was, you know, Samson took his life. And I couldn't imagine, um, you know, a buddy of mine, somebody I was so close to that, you know, you, you disconnect from people after graduation and whatever. But I couldn't believe that he just didn't have the network or the support, you know, or the com- com- that he wasn't comfortable talking to a friend or a colleague about what he was going through. And, and I, I vowed to myself never again, never again. I never yeah. want any of our brothers and sisters to ever feel that they don't that they're stuck in a rut and um, they don't know what to do to get out of the situation. And that's probably been the most biggest blessing. And had that been around when I started, or had these networks been around when I started my practice um, in 2008, I would be so far above and beyond what um, where I am right now because because. You know, if you're not connected on that, so on those social media platforms, being a specialist is really isolating. You know, you're bending yeah. over backwards for everybody and you don't know where the, where the, the, the BS meter stops, you know, and it's insane. So now if something happens, we can run it through, you know, however many different people we're connected to and get so many different answers, clinical. Um, staff, um, you know, things to uh, business aspects. It's phenomenal. But I'm, you know, when I gave my MKS meeting uh, talk 2016, and I, I, my talk was mainly about the online reviews, but I kind of gave a talk hitting four different aspects of, you know, things that were important to me. And one of it was on the uh, online reviews. And then the other one was just like, you know, the connections that we've made with different orthodontists like Clarence Red. And, and Kerwin and I, you know, I'm going to miss so many names and I apologize, but there's just, and, you know, the Feldmans and the Fishbines and, and the people that are out there just willing to just help out and, you know, on a, on a drop of a hat, but genuinely help out. That's what, that, that's what means the most to me. I mean, our friendships that we've made have mean everything. Yeah, I think that really comes across from you. And I think you bring up a good point about the kind of isolation of being a, a specialist. It's a tricky thing. I, I remember having this conversation with someone, you know, on the one hand, um, you know, it's hard to find people to uh, even celebrate our successes with. So, I mean, if 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 you've had a great month in the office and you did a hundred or two hundred or three hundred thousand dollars of production or whatever it was, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like you can call up 
you know, your friend from you're high referring, school. You're refer- or your you're referring dentist. dentist. Exactly. Yeah. And be like, hey, we killed it this month. So, like, on that end, you don't really have anyone to celebrate with the wins sometimes. You go home, you know, you maybe tell your wife or your husband, but th- that's it. And then, you know, on the flip side, you know, because I think we do have it so good as orthodontists and, you know, perhaps we feel awkward about sharing uh, some of our failures and some of the things, you know, that, that are stressing us out. Um, uh, and, you know, sometimes it's this, oh, that would be a good problem to have sort of situation, but it's it's still a problem. So I really appreciate how, you know, you've kind of, I think, taken the lead in creating that culture of, you know, let's let's support one another. You know, let's let's send a quick message to say, hey, are you, are you doing OK? Um, because I do think that's something uh, that's important. And, and, and your story, you know, with with your friend who took his life. I mean, that that's that's really sobering. I, I, I now I'm rambling, but I, I had a conversation with a colleague who is in dentistry and has also really been struggling, um, you know, kind of with his confidence, had some bad outcomes, started second guessing himself, started, mm-hmm. you know, being unsure about recommending treatment. It now he's not sure he can even in stay in dentistry. And, and I'm thinking, uh. boy, this is someone who who's so diligent and so personable. And, uh, you know, pe- people are out there going through some real struggles. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm sorry, and because I was rambling on as well, you know, when after giving that talk, um, I, there was one aspect where I said, Hey guys and girls, if you, you know, you're going to be in a situation where, you know, you won't know what to do and you feel like the entire world is against you. You don't know what to do. You know, come talk to me. And I, Lance, I had four people come up to me after the lecture, pull me aside and say, Hey, remember that time you or remember you said that, you know, you went through this or you were here. Can we talk? And I continuously talked to those four brothers and sisters and kind of coach him through, you know, be it once a month, I kind of shoot him a text message, or I give him a call, you know, I I send him something, you know, like a bottle of wine, just say, hey, something's thinking about you, man, like, we got this, if you need anything, let's talk it through. And thankfully, all four of those people are doing fantastic now. But they needed a shoulder to talk to, or I mean, a year to talk to, you know, in a tough time. And I remember, I, I, I'll never forget 2009, I'm growing this office. And I had a zero production month in December 2009. Never forget it. Right. And that's when all the bonuses are due. And I'm in the, I'm, you know, I'm grow, I'm trying my damnedest to grow these offices and no, and it was a short month, granted, because I go home to see my family in Florida, but I think I was here 20 and I had a zero production month and my mouth dropped. And, you know, I luckily I had a safe net from, you know, months before, but, you know, people don't under, people, you think, you know, people don't understand, but, you know, I, I just never want anybody to feel isolated. Yeah. Yeah, sweet. Well, this has been a great conversation. Let's jump in. We're going to do our Elevate Express 8. We'll have eight quick questions and get some quick answers from you, okay? Let's do it. Sheldon, what's your go-to treatment for full-step class twos? So full-step class twos, if retronathic mandible, I love forces from 3M. Um, if it's a pronathic, if it's a class one or, you know, a slight and non-class two case, um, then I'll take out upper bias and cool. retract that upper lip. Sweet. What's your standard retention protocol? Um, it used to be Upper Essex and Lower Holly, but recently I've been doing a lot of um, Upper 2 to 2 fixed and Lower 3 to 3 fixed with, with Essex retainers on top. Awesome. Who are your role models or mentors? Dude, I, this could take forever. I have so many. <laughs> you know, when, when 
in in the field of orthodontics, um, Dovi Prero said it with one of his um, one of his mentors is a is a group of unbelievable orthodontist named Hab Doherty who practices in Sherman Oaks. Um, great clinically, great person, just all around phenomenal orthodontist. Um, there's a there's a guy in that recently retired is Tom Bales from um, Marin County who you know um, helped me get into ortho and then kind of coached me through the whole transition practice transition. Um, I, if I could know 1% of everything this guy knows, it would be, I would be far above and beyond everything else. What's your favorite orthodontic product or instrument? You know, everybody says I tear on this and that. My favorite orthodontic thing that we all use are the, the Facebook groups because I, you know, I would not be where I was if it wasn't for those. Sweet. What's the best vacation you've ever taken? Dude, we have so many. Um, so I, I, I think the best vacation I ever took, and Lance, you know the story well, was when I um, spurred the moment, took my son to Paris and France. It was literally like three days before. And yeah, my tell son us the said, story. Hey, Dad, this, is I worth, this is worth spending right. a minute on, yeah. Okay, so every night I put my son to bed, and you know I, I make up these stories. We have these characters. It's a cow... It's a cow named Mecca and a squirrel named Samurai. And so, you know, every every night they have some sort of weird kind of adventure that they're going on. So one day Mecca and Samurai were fighting off Queen Gogo's henchmen at the at the Big Ben. And then Queen Gogo saw that her henchmen were losing, so she turned the London eye into a vortex and you know and pulled everybody into Paris. And we hooked up the computer to the Eiffel Tower and you know we saved the universe. Uh Mecca and Samurai saved the universe. So my son goes one day, he goes, Hey Dad, I wanna go see um Paris and London and I was like, Nathan, you know, it's we have to plan the trip and it's really it's really long and you know I have to we have I have like two days of three days of patience I need to reschedule. I'm like, we'll find some time and we'll go. And he's like, Oh, it's okay, Dad, you know. Uh, well, uh, you know, I understand. And he was like only five or five or six at the time. And I came downstairs, you know, after, after he fell asleep and I was so upset. I was so sad. And my wife's like, what well, what's wrong? And I said that, you know, I told her the story and she goes, well, why can't you go? And I was like, what do you mean? You know, it's got, I go, you know, I see 80, 100 patients a day and she's like, you know, I have to reschedule 200 people. And she's like, it doesn't matter. Why can't you go? And I was just so, I could, I couldn't sleep that night. And so I went downstairs and I said, you know what? Let's just do this. And I booked three tickets to Paris. So we flew from San Francisco to London. We were there for 18 hours. We saw Big Ben. We saw the London Eye. We saw, you know, we went around and saw all the different sites. And then we took the train to Paris, saw the Eiffel Tower, went to the Louvre, and went back to London um, the next day, and then came back to came back to San Francisco. And it, it, the coolest thing is my you know when my son and his friends are talking about you know or if they see the picture of the eiffel tower and just my son his facial expression when he's like i've been there and it's just oh that's that that look is priceless that's awesome what's one great book that you've read recently sheldon uh zero to one by peter thiel uh incredible mind um keeps you motivated pushing you through awesome what bracket system are you currently using um, I was using um, American MBT 22, but I recently switched to, and this is from Kyle's uh, recommendation, Kyle Fagala's. Um, I do the, I use Mid Atlantic Ortho, and I use the MBT 22, um, upper three to six, and, or three to seven, and lower seven to seven, and then Roth upper two to two. I do the exact same thing. 
Yeah, I think yeah, I think you, you, you we were talking about this at the last meeting. Yeah, that's that's exactly what we've got going on um, prescription yeah. wise. Cool. What's yeah. one area of orthodontics that you want to learn more about? Uh, you know, it's airway, and but not so much airway. Is I kind of just want to understand, you know, uprighting the teeth and and getting getting the mandibular teeth over the basal bone. I'm seeing a lot of adults recently, and they had four vice extracted. They still come in with crowding. But everything in the posterior is dumped lingually, even with the four biceps taken out. And they have these massive tongues. So you can see scalloping of their tongues and, and they have these, they're just like bunched in lower mandibular teeth. Everything's dumped in. I don't understand why. So I kind of just want to learn about expansion and getting the teeth over the bone. And yeah. Sweet. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners or how can people get a hold of you if they have more questions? Um, you, you, you guys know, or you folks know that I'm on all the social media um, outlets, um, Silence Ortho on Facebook, Silence Ortho on Instagram. Um, if you want to email me directly, please email me, wiredsheldon uh, at gmail.com. If anybody has anything they ever want to talk about, please call, text, email, Facebook, Instagram, whatever you need to get a hold of me. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at your website here, smilesaroundthebay.com. Yes, yes. If, if you need a around the bay guy uh that's my <laughs> oh. that's, that's my uh ll cool j reference there i knew, I knew you had a, i knew you had a little gangster in you lance i knew it <laughs> sheldon thank you so much again for coming on the podcast this has been an absolute pleasure i know our listeners are going to get a ton out of listening to this and i just want to thank you again for your time thank you so much lance for having me And that'll do it for another episode of Elevate Orthodontics. Thank you guys for tuning in. Also, special thanks to today's sponsor, CX Ortho. Go ahead and check them out at cxorthosupply.com. We'll be back again next week. Have a great one. Keep smiling. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.